I think it's important for us to recognize as parents that we have an opportunity when we read stories with our children. Uh, I know you go through the moments of like we've read what was the the Duck and Goose series? I think we read like <laughs> Duck and Goose Find a Pumpkin like 30 million times to Goodnight, our first Good Night Moon. The literary classic. Yeah, you know, all those <laughs> all those favorites. Yeah. But the thing about it with kids is they like the repetition, but more than that, they like the connection. I mean, even now, if he picks up a book, they just flock to him. Like they just, <laughs> he sits down and there's just like children everywhere <laughs> flocking to him. And it's really a powerful way to connect and even disciple and enjoy and connect with your kids. And so mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the power of a good story in parenting and hopefully it will bless you. So think back to little Ryan. Oh, great. Little elementary school Ryan. What was your favorite story as a kid or one of them? Well, okay. I wasn't a big reader growing up. I don't Hello, consider myself my a reader my mom is an now. English teacher. Yeah, well, you know what? The, <laughs> the, plumber, the plumber has the leak his pipes because <laughs> we did not read a lot. She would recite like Canterbury Tales and like the original like whatever old English. So great. <laughs> but like I didn't know what she was saying. Um, yeah, I remember reading, uh, Stone Soup. Stone Soup. That was a favorite. Yeah. I liked Stone Soup. I remember that one. I was a fan of... Did you read Ricky Tikki Tembo? A little bit. Not, no. Yes, I remember it as a kid, but (laughs) I read it more. We read it more as adults to our kids. Uh, I remember, uh, I really liked The Rime of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Mm. It's kind of a dark (laughs) poem, uh, but the illustrations are just incredible. How about you? What stories did you remember? Um, I remember being in kindergarten and I took the book, Are You My Mother? Uh, it's that story of the little bird that like the mom flies off to get food and it's like, epic are adventure. You, are you my mother? And I remember taking it to kindergarten thinking I could read because every night I would read to like my stuffed animals. I think it took me like 10 minutes to get through like two pages and the teacher's like, how about do you think I should finish the story? And I was like, yes. <laughs> like I was so excited about it because I was making it up, but I knew the story, right? And so... That was probably my favorite story as a kid. And I remember that as being one that my mom read to me a lot. And so that was kind of, I think, just I always went to it. It was just kind of a a favorite. Stories are powerful. I remember reading Hardy Boys. Oh, I read those in the Yeah, a little bit. As a boxcar children fan. Yeah, and you start to uh, kind of internalize uh, these lessons that you learn as you watch uh, these characters live out their stories. Berenstein Bears. Berenstein Bears are hot, hot item in this house right now. And <laughs> it's a little bit over the top because <laughs> they're long books. <laughs> Sometimes, though, I'm always like, I want to see how Mama Bear handles this. <laughs> and our kids are at that age where you can't skip stuff without them knowing. I used to skip a lot. Uh huh. Grab a few extra pages in there. But yeah, I'm, I'm. I mean, that's the point of this episode is to just, I guess, enliven our hearts as parents to the potential of stories and i think we kind of know this intuitively um frankly as christians we are a people of the book Mm -hmm. we're a people of stories and even oral tradition Mm -hmm. passed down through the generations of god's people um and thankfully inscripturated in the bible as we know it the canon Mm -hmm. as we know it today we are a people of of books not just one book. We have the Bible, but right. the book is the Bible is made up of many books. Right. Right? The Bible is a collection of books. It's wonderful, uh, but they're not just fictional stories. I mean, they're not right. fiction. I mean, there's there are 
parables, and I think there's some cases to be made for allegory and things like that, depending on the genre. But they tell us something eternally true. And I think what, what strikes us here, and maybe what you were getting at when you were writing up this episode, is this idea that there are even eternal truths to be found in stories that aren't scripture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how people deal with good and evil definitely yeah. determines, I mean, it reveals how they, their their worldview, whether it be biblical or not. Um, but I think we can still glean some truth out of hmm. books that are not Christian. Um, let me ask you some things. What, what makes a good story to you? Oh, <laughs> we were talking about this in the car a little bit and I was yeah. like, telling you about certain characters and people that I'm like, these are not real people. And I forget that because I've read certain books so many times or I'm just so attached to the stories and the characters, Mm -hmm. um, like Pride and Prejudice, like Elizabeth and Jane Bennett are not real people. (laughs) Like they are fiction. (laughs) They might've been based on somebody, but they're not real people, but they become so real to you through the stories. So I want to answer the question that you posed, but I want to ask you first, why are they why do they become real people to you? What is about them that that you get to know their personalities that the author you know creates yeah. around them? Oh. You start to understand their just their idiosyncrasies, how they their dynamics with sisters, which is something I never had. And so, <laughs> reading books about sisters, I'm trying to really understand this dynamic. Although fiction books might not be the best way to go about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. I, so, what makes for a good story? Um, a good story, I think, by so what makes a good story to you? Not just like by standard, but for okay. you, what makes it, what makes a good story? Well, there needs to be a good amount of, uh, suspense like there. And I'm not talking like Tom Clancy, like that's good stuff too. And, that, and a lot of that is not to be just completely disregarded, but a lot of that is formulaic. But to me, a story is it, when it hooks you, like when there is, you want to know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're wondering like, why certain events happen mm-hmm. and and a good writer will keep you kind of chomping at the bit do you have a certain genre that you prefer <clears throat> I, I really well i really enjoy science fiction because mm-hmm. the other aspect of a good story is that it it uh it ignites the imagination mm-hmm. right it should make you it should it should make you imagine things that deep down trigger longings and desires that you have for yeah uh, and c.s lewis would say this and this would be uh a desire for a deeper truer reality mm-hmm. that is only terminated rightfully in Christ and rightfully in the kingdom of God and right. in the, the, the end of time, right? That's right. eschatologically or whatever. So I, I, when there's that wonder that's stirred up and then to me what makes a story really cement, so that can be an entertaining story, right? but what cements it in my mind is almost like a, like this deserves not just a place on my bookshelf, but a place on the bookshelf of my mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is when it connects uh when it connects to deep eternal truths in Christ. So yeah. Les Mis, uh, not all English translations of Les Mis are, right. are as good, but the, I forget there was one I was reading that um, it, you, I mean, at the time I was, I kept bringing it up to you, like, can you believe like the depth of what's happening here? <laughs> and like, you just see the gospel on so many different pages and the characters and the lives of these people within the story yeah. of Les Miserables. And it just blows my mind. And of course, like the Narnia series, um, does that in very well and ways. there's I think that you're hitting on something too because there's yes some story stories typically are formulaic like we'll be watching a show and Ryan's like that ah, that's the first plot twist or something <laughs> like he just calls them out but I think there's something about it for kids when they are reading or being read to and they hear 
and they're able to imagine what's happening. Mm -hmm. They're seeing this struggle sort of unfold Mm -hmm. in front of them. They don't necessarily have to engage in it as far as like, well, I'm not struggling with Mm -hmm. this character. I'm not struggling, but I do struggle with feeling afraid or I do struggle with feeling uh, insecure or not valued or I don't know how I keep fighting with my sibling or, you know, they Mm -hmm. can identify with those. And then they can kind of watch things unfold. And they can kind of glean some instruction, you know, like the Berenstein Bears are really great for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. They watch how the, the messy room, you know, it just keeps getting messier and messier and mama hates picking things up and all the stuff. But it reveals a deeper truth. It gives you characters that you love. This is kind of my ideal. Um, and it's it's there's got to be some resolve, I think. I don't like when I don't like being titillated. <laughs> I don't like when they just leave you hanging on, you know, you're not a fan of tragedies. That end in an unhappy way? Uh, not really. I'm thinking of like of sto- of like martyr stories. I mean, those are intense. You want ha- you want to have but, some sort of yeah justice served? Yes, yeah, yes. So or some resolution that that speaks to the what you're saying draws the children in. Yeah, because there needs to be a character arc. Yeah, uh, and there's not to be a plot arc, a story arc, but also a character arc. In other words, you need to see this person become someone else. Right. Like we'll go back to the Berenstein Bears example. You know, our kids are young. By <laughs> we don't have teenagers yet. Um, I can't wait to get into some of the more yes. complex storylines with them yeah. of other stories. But you see the characters start a certain way. Mm-hmm. You need to see them end differently. So mm-hmm. a lot of one trick fiction writers will do is they'll say, okay, and they're trying to create a, a story arc that's that's noteworthy, that's going to keep the attention of a reader. And they say, okay, well, how's this story going to end? Mm. Think of um, Harry Potter. Right. Okay. Harry Potter, he ends, he's victorious. He's this, he's this virtuous, magical wizard. It's fantasy. Okay. So don't, please don't, I know there's a lot of debate around Harry, Harry Potter, stuff like that, but it's fantasy. So we know it's not real. Mm-hmm. And he becomes this victorious kind of brave character and he wins the day. Well, when he starts, he's pretty pathetic. So you take the, you start with the end product. And as an author, you go back to the beginning. You say, what's the abs, what's the, absolute furthest hmm. opposite of that end product yeah and you start there right so he's living under a staircase he has he's, no, an orphan. he's an orphan he has no sense of identity right. no sense of purpose no skills no sweet skills in terms of his <laughs> you know magic and no confidence yeah and that's a pretty pathetic place to start well as the story goes over a number of books he changes right he and i think grows. that our kids they want to see that they also yeah they want to see some change they also want to see uh, a world that's bigger than them yeah they, they want to be able to see the world through a lens that's bigger than than and not just bigger but a bigger more magical version of the yeah. life they experience yeah um i can't wait to share like some of the stories that we're working on <laughs> i won't i won't do it here but one of the main objectives that that i have in the fictional writing that i'm working on is i want it to be a very clear um kind of blown out amplified version of everything that's wonderful in our world but mm-hmm. with identifiable pieces that you can bring back and say i see that in my world today and mm-hmm. that reminds me of this like this fantastical place mm-hmm. that points ultimately to the glory of god uh, that to me is the, is what makes a story really good and that's when we can as parents when we're reading stories to our kids we don't just read the story and it's done like so often we will have like this is for our home education stuff we'll have them narrate it back right mm-hmm. you do that all the time so what happened? Why did they do that? What do you think they were thinking? And help them connect you know, with the co- information and connect with the story and engage with it. And they pick up on all, each 
child picks up on a different point typically mm. when they're talking back to you. And never, I think never before in our history have we had so much access to information and stories as we do today. And so I think what are some, we've said that good stories are important and we'll talk about that, I think, in this. But why, are there good stories and are there bad stories? Like, is there, we've, you know, we've kind of gone through a lot of different <coughs> books um, yeah. and we, I follow some of the Charlotte Mason stuff and she's called it, you know, twaddle and uh, books that are just not really They're basically adding throwaway value. books. Like, yeah. Yeah. They, they don't have any, re- re- she would probably say they don't have any redemptive value other than the momentary amusement of it. Right. And yeah. what's, what's the, why is it important for kids to be exposed to good language and beautiful pictures, you know, and, and interesting stories. Like you think of Beatrix Potter versus, uh, you know, her, her collection of stories versus just like a book you'd find at the dollar store for, you know, that's just been thrown away and on a shelf. I feel subtexted by that because we were at the dollar I store with Louisa <laughs> and she bought books. It was actually a good book about anger. I, I took and her so... on a daddy-daughter date and she picked out, actually, you'd be happy I got rid of one that was just, the word is asinine. This book was asinine. It was pointless. And I just, she didn't realize it, but I left it at the check out well that's good and there i mean there is something to be said we do need to be careful about the books that are coming out these days as well the more modern books because they are yeah. um brainwashing and influencing our children uh not on the path to godliness and holiness uh yeah. but the other way so why are good stories important for children to read and for us to read them to them <clears throat> well i mean other than the stuff that we've already said I, a good talk story about parables i want you to talk about parables okay because we so, did talk about that in conversation so maybe it, we've yeah i guess we've talked a lot about good, why the good stories are important but parables as christians parables are one of the most important yeah i mean ways that jesus it was taught. the way that he taught so that yeah. he could um communicate eternal truths across kind of uh, a broad audience of people right but he also said like to those who have ears let them hear to those who have mm-hmm. eyes let them see like the parables weren't elucidating for everyone everywhere right they were they had an effect of pulling out and kind of selecting out the chosen kind of i'll use the word elect the people that were to hear and receive the message of the gospel as christ preached it mm-hmm. and so uh, that i mean we've touched on a little bit, like we are a people of the word, but we're also people of a, of a savior who used stories and parables, parables mm-hmm. in the way that we're talking about. Yeah. And so we can, uh, we can use stories similarly, even though they're not scripture right. to, to show our kids eternal truths. And it's just up to us as parents to, to curate those stories, to tell them in a winsome way, to help our children process and understand them right. and apply the principles. And then not only that, but then, draw the clear lines back to the eternal gospel of mm-hmm. uh, you know what is what is the underlying metaphysic here god's metaphysic not right. man's or you know some right. humanist version of it but what is the underlying truth um and then what's cool is they start to see it themselves right right and they, and they start to read critically yeah. i think that's a skill that um is largely lost like we kind of are we, we call them infinity pools, right? Netflix, Disney Plus, which we don't actually subscribe to either of those. <laughs> um, uh, but they, they're they infinity pools. Like we get so used to just, all right, that was an entertaining story. I just need another entertaining story. But like, mm. So you finish binge watching a series. Right. You just look for another one so that you can go back to more entertainment. But that's not critically 
watching something. It's not asking yourself, did that person do the right thing in that story? What drove that person? Did, well, what, what yeah. does this illuminate in my own heart? Well, and you brought up an interesting point too. I think just the mode of how information is processed. So books versus screens. I mean, screens is just telling you and it's showing you and it's just, this is what it is, which I don't think is a bad medium, especially for like documentary type things. Um, and I was going to say, I think but, screens are an incredible storytelling medium. Yes. I think they're largely abused and we can use and misused, them. misused, for and sure. misused and not all cartoons are equal. Like there are some <laughs> cartoons sure. that are really valuable and helpful for our kids. Yeah. And there's others that are just kind of like they're killing their brain cells. Right. So, uh, I would, yeah, I mean, I would argue that books are just that slower <laughs> mode of processing. You can stop, you can think critically, right? And mm-hmm. you can start unpacking and talking about the characters or who do you like the best why do you like this person and why do you do you think they handled this the right way or what what would you have done in that situation you know it's just there's so many opportunities that books provide for good conversations um, as well as just connection I mean like I said he pulls out a book and the kids are just like all over him snuggling on him they it can be one of the best ways yeah same yeah the best ways that they can like decompress after a long day if you guys have been if they've been at school or have been at practice or wherever it's just one of those ways that you can have some touch time with them and really connect with them one thing this is maybe along these lines we're talking about story in general namely stories through the written word oral stories that only exist orally (laughs) and so we have these in our household we have a number of storylines that are that are bedtime (laughs) storylines and uh it depends on how much energy i have frankly (laughs) or if it's not too late but i'll just sit down and say all right girls what's the story about tonight and they'll give me an idea and or it might be based on a previous night's story well and i will start the story but then half this kind of choose your your adventure (laughs) i'll tap them on the shoulder or on the arm when it's time for them to take the story and run with it and then and then you know so it becomes a means to connect but it also gets them thinking in different terms that aren't just always receiving mm-hmm. and and passively but right. they're they're creating actively, actively, engaged, actively, actively, yeah. in, actively involved and that's unique to an oral um story there's no well and you said oral too i'm thinking of like our parents and like i remember some of my favorite stories one of my favorite, I think some of just my favorite moments of my childhood were at my great grandma's farm at night. She would always um, tell us stories about when she was younger on a farm in Wyoming or she was working somewhere and she had to deal with some sassy like <laughs> coworker or something. Just the stories of life and the story, the history of your family and, you know, how she didn't get along with with her sister or something it just it was just so wonderful to hear those stories being kind of passed down and I think we're losing that as a as a a a people um your parents were telling us stories last night about their their marriage they've been they'll be celebrating 50 years this month of being married and they're talking about you know when they lived in South Dakota when they did all these things and it's just kind of funny to hear some of the (laughs) the spiels along the way and um something happens I feel like in as people age they suddenly they they grow this supernatural ability to tell a story yes and it's engaging and it's funny it's like they slough off all the meaningless stuff and they yeah. keep just the best of it i think yeah you said we are losing kind of that oral tradition um i think as a society this the storytelling has gotten better but on a on a scale that is not as effective on, uh in transforming hearts sure and so like movies are really entertaining mm-hmm I mean, some of the stuff that's coming out is just like, as I can't imagine things being more entertaining. They can be, right. get more addictive. They can get more, maybe like that's what TikTok is, right? It's just addictive. It's not really right. entertaining. It's just amusing to the point of addiction. Yeah. 
But like, so think about when you, if we didn't have radio, we didn't have TV, we didn't have movies, we didn't have internet, we didn't have, you'd get pretty good at telling stories. Yeah. If that was your way at night of passing the time, mm-hmm. you get really good at it. Yeah, you do and the voices and everything. You get really good at listening too. You get mm-hmm. really good at remembering stories. You get really good at noting stories. Story worthy yeah, events in life. Conversations would be so rich and different. Yeah, and so I wonder if there's a, a way to set aside like a family story time yeah. that isn't just reading a book or watching a show, but telling a story. Yeah, creating a story, re- recalling and reciting a story. Yeah, I think creating that habit in your creating habits is such a big part of parenting, and so creating the habit of reading or creating the habit of recounting our day in maybe a story form, you know, could be something kind of fun uh, to do yeah. as a as a family. Um, you were mentioning curating some of the books and stories because there's a lot out there, as we know. Um, what are some of the things that we probably should be reading to our children uh, and why? And for I'll yeah. talk about book lists in just a minute because I do have a few um places that I that are kind of my default that I like to go to um but finding a good book list can be a hard thing sometimes what should we read to our kids what should we read to our kids um aside from scripture I think you know we scripture should be the mainstay of the reading life of your family uh for children you need to walk with them through scripture Mm -hmm. like we're we're big proponents of let the full counsel of God bear its full weight on their little hearts like they can handle it God is there with them. Right. He's informing their little hearts, their little minds. Part of the way he informs their little hearts and little minds is through <laughs> your parenting, through yeah. you discipling them in that. So supplementing uh, the, the the pure food of God's word with maybe a children's Bible. We're actually, this is an unpopular opinion, but we're not, I'll, I'll speak for myself. Maybe you agree. Maybe no, you we're don't. not. I'm, I'm with you on that. We're not fans of the Sally Lloyd-Jones uh, yeah, children's storybook Bible. We There's reasons out, for that. But there, yeah. Um, but we're, we're, we're not fans on principle of that book. We are fans of, uh, the child's story Bible. It's Catherine Voss. Yeah. It's the most excellent, uh, Bible storybook I've ever encountered. Right. It's written over decades. I can't imagine a better Bible's, uh, children's Bible Well, and I think the point of children's storybook Bibles and those types of things are to really, again, familiarize children's children with the stories of the Bible. It's not necessarily, you know, painting the picture of Christ. I mean, it is in some ways. Vosses is for sure. Vosses is for sure. Um, Some of them is just like getting familiar with stories like David and Goliath and, you know, the parable of the lost sheep and talking about, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden and creation and the crucifixion. And, and so getting kind of pinning some of those those points on the timeline of, of humanity is just helping kids understand yeah. um, what happened and when it happened. Yeah. And then as far as other stories, I mean, I feel like you're the authority on this, but we shoot for quality literature, quality literature, <laughs> that's yeah. living, living books, things that have been around for a long time, like Aesop's fables. Um, with artwork too, that is not just, you know, drawn up on a, in a computer program oh man, in yeah. five minutes or less, like that there's actual art to it. Yeah. Um, that's a big deal breaker for us. If, it, if the illustrations are just kind of like, and on the rare occasion you can find an author illustrator. I mean, that's just dynamite. There's Polacco is one of those. Yeah. Patricia Polacco, uh, Tommy DePaolo. I don't know if I'm DePaolo. saying, yeah, his name yeah. right. Um, 
So three places I go for book lists. Graham is, Base. Graham Base is my, one of my favorite kids. Yes. <laughs> yes. I didn't mention him, but I love Graham Base. He's unbelievable. He's an Australian author, illustrator. Mm-hmm. And his illustrations. Like will our kids set the will sit there for an hours just looking at the books. I mean, I don't know. How, he probably spends weeks and months on single spread illustrations. Oh, for sure. Um, check it. And it's Graham, G-R-A-E-M-E. He's Australian, Graham Base incredible stuff if you mm-hmm. don't, if you haven't checked them out um so those types of books that and the prose or the poetry in his that it always rhymes it's really easy to read easy mm-hmm. on the ears but it's there's always a really cool storyline and the illustrations just put it over the top yeah um so i for a book if you want like something to kind of flip through honey for a child's heart by gladys hunt it's one of those classics of book lists that have been updated she has little like yeah. paragraphs she has it listed out and organized in age ages and stages and real quick you're talking to of a younger demographic some parents will have older children no i'm this is for they have honey for a teen's heart as well it's oh. these are not the chicken noodle for a soul that's not what i'm talking about it's a whole nother like <laughs> chicken noodle for the soul you know what i mean that old that old chicken school soup for the soul. chicken soup <laughs> <laughs> See, I can't even remember. This is specifically book list for moms, for parents gotcha. that can help. Okay, they it's a curated book list, gotcha. and so okay. they have one for teens as well. Um, they can kind of she outlines, you know, the pros about this, maybe one of the cons, or when she would start reading this, what age group, and why. Um, and so it gives you kind of a glimpse into some of these book lists because we can get overwhelmed by books and. I think that, you know, you want to give your kids the richest literature that you can. And so Honey for a Child's Heart is, mm. or Honey for a Teen's Heart by Gladys Hunt. Um, keep it on the shelf. It's a great reference book. Uh, Read Aloud Revival uh, with Sarah McKenzie. She's just, she go on her Instagram. She's always putting out book lists for different seasons and whatnot. Also in her book, Read Aloud Revival, she has the ages and stages broken down in certain books that they've read at that time. And then the last one I would say is Ambleside Online. Dot org and that is a Charlotte Mason. It's a free reference guide. Um, they do by year of the ages of children, and uh, they break down, you know, all these different book lists of classics. And you can get them. Some of them you can just get for free. You can get to go to the library. They'll tell you kind of the best places to get them uh, mm. if you want to have those on your shelf. But it just kind of it, they take a fine tooth comb and they kind of go through everything. And you're just like, okay, this is still the best of the best, the rich of the rich. This is this is the literature. This is the language that I want my kids to hear. This is they, they're starting to hear grammar. They're starting to hear the proper ways in which language is used and why. And so you're forming these habits of not only just listening, but also reciting back what yeah. they're saying. Yeah, uh, th- one of our main tenets is that all of parenting is discipleship, and the stories that we introduce our children to whether passively by letting them in, take them in themselves mm-hmm. it, through a screen or through a book that they pick up from somewhere or the stories we introduce them to actively, they, that's a discipleship decision. Those yeah. are discipleship activities. And as parents, uh, we are the ones responsible for not only the stories, but the a- interpretation of mm-hmm. the stories, the application of the stories. God's truth is strong enough to withstand scrutiny. Like we don't need to curate in a sense so as to shelter them from difficult Mm-mm. truths or difficult questions. But as parents, we need to be the ones to be asking and answering those hard questions alongside them mm-hmm. or just giving them the answer. One of the things that I, I do want to push back with on at the end of this episode is this cultural idea that story is paramount. Hmm. And my story is paramount. 
That is not compatible with the Christian Mm -mm. worldview. My story is not ultimate. His story is. My story Mm. only is only redeemed through him because of his story yes and and i am not the hero of my life Mm -hmm. christ is and so there's this tendency for for story to be kind of idolized in a way that like it doesn't matter what the story is if it's yours it's valid and i just i disagree with that like no like our stories aspects of who we are need to be rejected need to be restrained need to be sanctified need to be rooted out Mm -hmm. because we have this thing called a sin nature and we have sins that are that we commit sins that are committed against us that that can become part of our story, but we deal with it but through a gospel lens. Yes. I'm not saying just suppress and reject unhappy things. Right. I'm saying that we bring it to the cross, right? And it's not and not every story is relative. Like I can't just read a story and decide what it means to me. Like I'm not this. That's a postmodern idea. This literary relativism that I just I can read into what the author meant because what <laughs> I want it to mean. No, like we need yeah. to read what the stories mean according to the authors who write them, starting with scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and let and then let the cards fall where they may and mm. sort out the pieces uh, with the gospel lens and that's Agreed. what parents are here to Agreed. do. Um, there's so much that can be said on this and there's a good podcast I can't remember what the name of it was I think it's um, I, look up Canon Press they have one it's all about stories it's a podcast episode, a podcast series um, they talk about this at greater length with a really heavy emphasis on things like Narnia and Middle Earth and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, we're big fans of stories, but we're fans of the greatest story, which is Christ, who mm-hmm. uh, is God himself made flesh so that we might know him, so that we might uh, not die in our flesh, but mm-hmm. instead be made alive through the personal work of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to place mm-hmm. your faith in Christ and to follow him as a disciple of Christ. If you want to know what that means even deeper, then take steps down the path of centering your life mm-hmm. on the capital S story. Yeah. Of Christ on the cross and resurrected unto glory. You can do that. Go to thenewsisgood.com. We want to invite you into the family of God. Uh, come on in. You're invited. You're wanted. Mm-hmm. God is good. Um, and he has good things in store for those who are his. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for um, being the hero mm-hmm. of the story of history, the story of all time. And thank you that you uh, weren't just far and away and lofty, high and above, but you were imminent and among us and you became flesh. Mm-hmm. You tabernacled among us. You lived among us, not uh, not, being stra- uh, uh, not being a stranger to temptation, not being a stranger to pain, so that we might turn to you mm-hmm. in the perfect life that you lived and place our trust in you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as parents connect stories to that story, mm-hmm. to your truth, to anchor us just a little bit more in the deepest truth there is and that you are a God of justice, you are a God of love, you are a God of mercy, and you are a God that is powerful and beautiful and wonderful and worthy of all praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for watching uh, and listening to the Fierce Parenting podcast. If you want to be a partner with us, we want to invite you into that. Let's go yeah. to fierceparenting.com slash partner. We couldn't do this without people believing in it. Uh, and so we thank you in advance for praying about that. If God leads you, we would we would love to meet you in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it for this week. This episode of Fierce Parenting is... We can. We'll see you again in seven days. Until next time. Stay fierce.